in a little neighborhood in St. Louis, Missouri, sits a sweet little colonial-style house. On the outside, the house appears to be very normal. It's all brick, with white shutters, and a wonderfully manicured yard. You would never guess that this house provided the setting for one of the scariest stories in American history. This is a story of Roland Doe and The Exorcist. Tonight, for me, it's all about updates. I'm talking the Zodiac Killer, Isabella Gardner Stewart, 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 Isabella Gardner Stewart Museum, Gabby Petito, all the things. From time to time, during the How Did We Miss That podcast, we may talk about details of crimes that some may find triggering or disturbing. Listener discretion is highly advised. did we miss that? Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of How Did We Miss That? I'm Christine. And I'm John. We got some stories, huh? We do. We do. Yes. So I think I've done a story like this before where I kind of gave you like the origin of maybe a horror movie that we've all known, right? Yes. Amityville. Oh, I think I've done it twice then. Is this about that too? No. No, no, no. Uh, The idea of telling you these stories where they came from. Yeah, yeah. Um, I like that. So I figured since it's almost Halloween, I'm going to tell you a scary story. Yeah, it's spooky season. And kind of where it came from. Mm. I've always wondered, because they got to be from somewhere. They can just come from someone's brain. It's got to be some sort of thing in there that triggered that idea. Yeah, some kind of life experience or something, probably. Yeah. So I'm going to tell you where the story of The Exorcist came from. My sources, of course, allthatisinteresting.com is my new favorite place to go. Yeah. Totally love that website. It's awesome. Mm-hmm. SmithsonianMagazine.org and an article from the Washington Post. So I remember we watched The Exorcist and you were not impressed. No, not at all. I think I was laughing through it. Yeah. Well, and I don't think it's funny. It's not supposed to be funny. It's right? not funny. No. Yeah, sorry. When, I don't know. I think when I first saw it, I was like 12 or 13. And I think I was like scared out of my mind. I remember. As a born and raised Catholic, the stuff can be really scary playing with demons and Satan and all these crazy things, right? Yeah. Anyway, so we're going to go back to that house that I talked about in the beginning of my little intro. Interestingly enough, it sits on Roanoke Drive. Hmm. You know, can I go on record and say that I'm sure it's scary. And those things normally do scare me when they're sort of like real lifey kind of things, you Mm. know, religious horror and stuff like that. I think it was just the effects or something like it just I, there were parts of it that were like, this is cheesy or funny. I, I don't know. All right, Maybe I, I was you. laughing myself, you know, to not be scared, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe. Hiding the fear. All right. Well, I'm going to tell you about why I think it's interesting that this house was on Roanoke Drive. For those of you who don't teach American history to 10 year olds all day, Roanoke is the first English settlement in the new world. What would later become America. But the interesting thing is that their leader, his name was John White, actually, went back to England to get supplies to bring back and like some other people to bring back with him. And he actually got stuck in England when Spain attacked England. So he was stuck there for three years. So when he returned, everybody in Roanoke was totally gone, completely vanished Hmm. without a trace. They left all their tools. Everything was still there. 
Nobody has any idea what happened to them. And I feel like, I mean, I'm sure there's some scientific proof that they can show what happened to them. And there's some, you know, obvious choices that they could have, you know, up and left for certain reasons or whatever. But some of the ideas can kind of send some shivers down your spine a little bit. So I just thought it was kind of interesting that this house happens to be on Roanoke Drive. Yeah. Anyway, enough of the history lesson. Thank you. We're going to go back to the Hunklers. The Hunklers? Yes. You see, they had a 13-year-old son named Roland, who is later called Roland Doe to protect his identity, which, I mean, couldn't have given the kid a different first name. Oh, like John Doe. Like John Doe, but it's Roland Doe. He's Roland in the Doe. Yeah. <laughs> see, his his Aunt Harriet had just passed away, and he was really upset about it. She had been a spiritualist, and she taught him many things. One of the things that used to, they used to do together, sorry, was use a Ouija board. Have you ever used a Ouija board before? No. You've never done that? Have you? Yeah. Breaking you, news in this relationship. What? what? How did you not? It was because like a, I'm, a not a I'm not a freak. I'm not a weirdo. It's not a weirdo. I guess I didn't do sleepover. I'm a, I mean, I'm a guy, so sleepovers like with the staple, dudes man. are a little different. We like play army and <laughs> beat each other up and stuff. I, I, Ouija board. Jesus. Yeah. Is it Ouija or Ouija? Ouija. Well, we'll get to that in a minute. Ouija. We'll get to it in a minute. All right. I, everybody says Ouija board, but... You did one? Was it creepy? I, no. I want to hear about this. Nothing happened. <laughs> it didn't start moving on its own and... Well, of course, we were doing, oh, my gosh, can you feel that? It's really happening. It didn't. Oh, but you didn't feel anything? And it was always questions like, who likes me? Oh. Yeah. Okay. It was dumb. (laughs) Really stupid. And then when we were done, we played light as a feather, stiff as a board. And we went into the bathroom and said Bloody Mary three times. Yeah. Do you want to play (laughs) stiff as a board later? Hey. Stop it. Wink, (laughs) wink. Anyway, let's get back to the story. Let's focus. So actually, I was really interested in this. I wanted to look up the history of the Ouija board because I didn't realize it had been a thing in the 1940s when this was happening. So I went to a couple different sources and kind of found some information. And what was really weird about it in my research was that like nobody really could tell me where it came from. Hmm. It was really strange. Maybe it just manifested itself. Well, they all had like... itself. Maybe they all had different stories about like who first talked about it and who first saw it, but nobody could like pinpoint an exact person or time when this suddenly was a thing. It wasn't like Mr. Mr. Ouija. No. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) They did. So I told you, I I wasn't aware that it was a thing back in the 1940s, but wow, was I wrong? It was a thing in the 1890s. Ooh, really? Yes. Wow. The first known advertisement was from a toy and novelty shop in Pennsylvania, and it sold for the low price of $1.50. Hmm, not bad. Which in the 1890s would be equivalent to $45.09 today. Dang, really? Yeah. <laughs> Jesus. The idea of being able to communicate with the dead was a very popular one at this time in history. It's not opening the gates of hell or summoning demons like we think, right? Yeah, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> now, here's the name. This is where it came from. It's named for the French and German words for Yes. We and yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Interesting, right? Yeah, it is. Kind of cool. So it's we, yeah. We, yeah. Because some people say, say some people say Ouija. That's what I say. And some people say it really fast, so it comes out like Ouija. Ouija. I would think it would be more like that. I think it's like, yeah, whatever. Who cares? This is boring. Ouija. Anyway, 
So back to poor Roland. Yes. Who very much misses his aunt and is having a very hard time with her passing. This is about when he began experiencing some really strange things. He heard scratching sounds coming from the floors and the walls of his room. Water dripped inexplicably, easy for me to say, from pipes and walls. Most troubling of all was that his mattress would suddenly start moving in the middle of the night. I, I mean, understandably, I would think his family would be pretty upset about this. So they decide they're going to try to get Roland some help from doctors, psychiatrists, even their Lutheran minister, but none of what they tried worked. The minister then suggested that the family get help from Father Albert E. Hughes, the local Catholic priest. Big Al. Big Albie. I don't, I don't want to frighten you or anything, but there's been times in our bed where I just feel it moving inexplicably. And we don't have earthquakes here in Massachusetts. What do you mean? So what are you talking about? I'll just be laying there and all of a sudden it'll move in a kind of weird way. Not, and you're not moving. And I'm not moving. Nobody's moving. But the mattress is just like, woo. I have a feeling you're probably in a little bit of a twilight sleep there. I don't think You know how when so. you like, you get that feeling like you're falling and you twitch. You're like in that weird little in-between state of asleep I, and awake. I smell what you're putting down, but this feels like a California right. earthquake and we don't have those here. Maybe it's so I'm a telling you that phantom like remembrance. Yeah. Well, this house was probably on a burial ground or something. I mean, out here in Massachusetts, they're everywhere. That's true. Yeah. All right. <laughs> well, uh, Father Hughes asked the higher-ups in the church in February of 1949, and the church gave him permission to perform an exorcism on Roland. Father Hughes strapped Roland to the mattress and began to perform the rites, but had to stop when Roland grabbed a spring from the mattress and slashed Father Hughes's shoulder. Oh, a few days later, red scratches appeared on Roland that seemed to form the word Lewis. Hmm. The Hunklers took that as a sign to mean that they needed to take him to St. Louis, where they actually had some relatives, and they wanted to get the help that he needed from there. Some of the Hunklers' cousins that were attending the university at the time put the Hunklers in touch with Jesuit priest Father Walter H. Halloran and Reverend William Bowdern. I think that's how you say that. After consulting with the university's president, they agreed to perform an exorcism on young Roland with the help of several assistants. They all congregated at the residence on Roanoke Drive in early March of 1949. There, the exorcist witnessed basically the same types of things that had happened in Maryland when the first exorcism failed. They also began to notice a pattern in Roland's behavior. He was calm and normal during the day, but nighttime was a completely different story. He would scream, he had wild bursts, outbursts, and he would enter like a trance-like state and start making these sounds and, and this like guttural voice. Sounds like our kids. Right? <laughs> as soon as sun goes down, they fall apart. This is true. Maybe they're possessed. Maybe. Maybe. Oh. Hmm. <laughs> the priests also reported seeing objects mysteriously flying in the boy's presence and noticed that he would react violently when he saw any sacred object that they would show him. Hmm. So all of these things we saw happen in the movie, but some of the things they didn't show were the numerous scratches and wounds that would appear on Roland's like body each night. One of them was in the form of an X, which the priest took to mean that 10 demons were inhabiting his body. Okay. They use like the Roman numeral. Yeah. 10, you mm -hmm. know. By March 20th, the priest had worked on him every night, but nothing happened. He wasn't fixing anything. The final straw was when Roland urinated on his bed and then began to shout and curse at the priests. At this point, his parents felt that he needed a more serious treatment. I would say so, yeah. 
So they took him to the Alexian Brothers Hospital in St. Louis. Finally, on April 18th, the Monday after Easter, Roland awoke with Caesars. He was yelling at the priest, saying that Satan would always be with him. That would scare the daylights out of me. Yes. The priest laid holy relics, crucifixes, medals, and rosaries on his body. At 10.45 that evening, the attending priest called on St. Michael to expel Satan from Roland's body. For those of you who are not Catholic, St. Michael is an archangel. He is the protector. He defends you in battle. He does defend us in battle. Right. So Against the wickedness and snares of the devil. This is correct. Yeah. Thank you. (laughs) You're welcome. Amen. (laughs) (laughs) They shouted at Satan, saying that St. Michael would battle him for Roland's soul. Seven minutes later, Roland came out of his trance and calmly said, he's gone. Wow. Isn't that nice? Yeah. He told them of the visions he had of St. Michael fighting Satan on a great battlefield. The strange behavior stopped, and Roland Hunkler went on to live a completely normal life. Awesome. Weird, right? Yeah. But nobody would have ever known Roland's story if it wasn't for an article published in the Washington Post in August of 1949. Hmm. Though it did not go into much detail, it did mention that the priest had performed the exorcism, and it wasn't until about two decades later, when in 1971, William Peter Blatty wrote a book based on the diaries that Halloran and Bowdern had kept during the ordeal. This book is what sparked the hit movie in 1973, and though most of the story was accurate, except for the fact that the movie was about a 12-year-old girl named Reagan... It also had some differences meant to, you know, spice it up a bit. Yeah. It'll be a little scarier, yeah. right? Yeah. For example, Roland's head never turned around 360 mm. degrees as yeah. we, the, you know, the iconic vision of Reagan with our head spinning around. Yeah. He never vomited pea soup. I was going to say that was my, I was going to interject that, but I waited. And he didn't use a crucifix to masturbate ever. Yeah. So that was Thank interesting. Goodness. Yeah. That was a weird uh, twist in that. <laughs> Artistic liberties. Right. <laughs> After his exorcism, Roland got married and had a child whom he named Michael after the saint that saved his life. Father Bowdern died in 1983, Father Halloran in 2005. Following the exorcism, the room in the Alexian Brothers Hospital was sealed up and never used again. The whole building was destroyed in 1978. Oh, bummer. I was going to say that room would be a cool place to explore. No. Yeah. I'm not going anywhere near that. Nope, nope, nope. (laughs) So much nope. Is that yeah, your story? Yeah, so that's the story. Oh, a short one. I like it. I told you it was short. Well, now that you're done talking about all the serious stuff, I got to tell you, every time I hear the name Roland, I think of Roland Shit from Shit's Creek. And that <laughs> okay. image comes in my head. <laughs> so I was thinking about Roland Shit. That's nice. The whole time. <laughs> Great. <Yeah. laughs> I'm Good glad. story. Now I'm not going to be able to sleep tonight. Thanks. Interesting, right? So the first update I have for everyone, the Zodiac Killer. Cool, right? It is cool. I ha- I'm interested, though, to see how it plays out, because from what I've heard, some of the FBI don't believe it. Yeah. Did I cover this or did you no. way back when? We've covered something you, about it. You did. You did. The okay. ciphers. Yeah. It was the ciphers that they found. Well, it took another twist, the whole uh, story. And if you're not familiar with the story, go back and listen to our episode or go back and do your research on Google. This comes from... There's all kinds of stuff out there. A newspaper news service called theguardian.com. Mm-hmm. And uh, it says, the headline says, Case of Zodiac Killer Takes Another Twist, But Police Say It Isn't Solved, like you said. They say the investigation remains open as former law enforcement members claim to have identified the killer. A team of investigators claim they had unmasked the man who has fixated the public and amateur sleuths 
for decades. Are we amateur sleuths? Um, no, I don't think so. What does sleuth even mean? Is that like somebody who hunts things it's down? A, yeah, it's like a detective. <clears throat> well, even though they're certain that they found this guy, the uh, breakthrough was not so clear cut, so says the FBI and law enforcement. Last Wednesday, I think it was, a team of former law enforcement members, prosecutors, and intelligence Officials that call itself the Case Breakers. Now that's a cool oh, name. I want to be in that. Group. Do you think they have T-shirts or like shields and stuff? Where the Case Breakers, like shields. the Avengers, yeah, like the Avengers. Oh, I don't think they have shields. Maybe not. Maybe like notebooks, maybe with pens. Yeah, that match probably. Well, they said they had determined the identity of the killer responsible for all those murders in San Francisco back in the '60s. However, police have said the investigation is still open, and don't get all excited just because they found this, right? They regularly receive tips about the case, including from people who believe they know the identity of the killer. As you know, he was responsible for a series of murders in San Francisco in the 60s and remains one of the biggest cold cases probably ever, I guess, right? Everybody, one of, sure. There's movies about this. Everybody knows about it. Um, But despite the attention this week, most investigators remain skeptical um, of the development. They say he's managed to stay in the headlines for years as new theories continue to surface, so why is this any different? The case breakers, however, said they had new physical and forensic evidence and eyewitnesses who supported their theory that an Air Force veteran who died in 2018 was behind the murders. Huh, interesting. This is a quote from one of the case breakers, Tom Colbert. Colbert. I absolutely feel we solved this case, he says. The FBI and San Francisco Police Department declined to directly comment on the announcement, but said, it's still open. Don't get all excited. Yeah. So there's that. But anyway, they claim to have uh, cracked the code finally. Did it go into any detail about how they figured out that it was this person? It did. Was it? Oh, thank you. Yeah. The case breakers said in a press release they had made their identification based in part on photos of the suspect that show scars on his forehead that match a police sketch of the Zodiac. The team also said the suspect's name could be found in anagrams sent by him. Interesting. Yeah. So, you know, from what I know of this case, which isn't a ton, as you know, I like to say I know a lot about, I know, no, I I know a little about a lot of things. And this would be one of them. I feel like if this person was in the news or just somebody that the Zodiac Killer may have known, he would have used that name in the anagrams. He was like tricky and, you know, crafty like that. Right. So I wouldn't, I understand where law enforcement's coming on this one. I wouldn't just call it closed and huzzah, you did it, just based on those facts alone, you know? Yeah. I don't know. So there's the update on that. Kind of cool, I guess. I mean, it's a bummer that he's dead already, but what are you going to do? Yeah. I mean, sometimes it's just nice to know. (laughs) Are most of the victims' families probably dead too? No, I'm sure some of them have still... Because the victims were adults in the 60s, so that means their parents were, you know, at least 20 years ahead of them in the 60s. Right, but they could have had brothers and sisters. And, <clears throat> yeah, that's true. You know, true. my dad was born in 56, so. All right. Yeah, I guess you're right. All right, my next update comes from probably one of our most popular episodes ever, I think, when we talked about Isabella Gardner-Stewart Museum. Isabella Stewart Gardner. That one, too. Yes, we did. <laughs> I think I screw that up all the time. Yeah. Isabella. Isabella. Wow. My Massachusetts then, yeah, is coming up. Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum heist, which we all know where $500 million worth of art was taken. Masterpieces. Never to be recovered. That was a good story. And I think that was 1991. Yeah. 1990. Something like that. 
Um, anyway, Robert Gentile, reputed mobster tied to the museum, he died. Oh. In the last uh, couple weeks of September. I've been saving this story for a while because Gabby Petito was sweeping the nation. Right. So we had to jump on that. Um, but his attorney informed the news that uh, of the client's death and said, you know, like, stop talking about him. Leave him alone. He's dead now. Gentile was believed to be the last surviving person of interest in the theft of the 13 pieces of art that were stolen from the museum, which happened 31 years ago. Yes, 1990. This February, Gentile broke his silence about the heist in an interview with WTNH. He was 87 years old at the time of the interview. During that interview, he said, I know that there's some people out there that say that um, one of the leading suspects gave me some of the art and that his wife saw me saw that happen. Right. But he said, that's a lie. <clears throat> that's an outright lie. It never happened. I don't have any of the art. I'm not connected to this at all. But, but he seems like a lying liar that lies. So Yeah, and he's connected to organized crime, which this has organized him? crime written all over it. Right. Federal authorities said Gentile lied about his knowledge of the case, but he has consistently denied knowing anything about the heist. So I don't know, what do you think? Do you think he's a lying liar that lies? I mean yeah, he's dead now, I do. so now he has to answer for his sins. Yeah. In the purgatory or wherever he's at. Right. But now there's like no leads. Nobody has any clue. The FBI is still taking tips. If you happen to know anything about the Isabella Stewart, Stewart Gardner. Gardner Museum heist yes. from 31 years ago. Right. I, you know, now that we live out in this area, I'm hoping to stumble upon, you know, one of those paintings and then I can be a hero because the that would reward, be really cool. The reward is $10 million. Oh, still. let's start looking for paintings. Yeah. Anybody know uh, Anybody paintings? know how to get on the dark web? Can we uh, reproduce some of those paintings? <laughs> That's what I want to know. Not good enough, unfortunately. They would probably carbon date the paper and all that jazz and so. Yeah. And then the last thing is about the, uh, our, you know, Gabby Petito. The, the news cycle's kind of slowed down a little bit. It has, yeah. Mr. Bounty Hunter is still looking for them. I like to call him by his official name, Mr. Bounty Hunter. Mr. Or is it Mr. The Bounty Hunter? How do you mm, think his name, good... how do you think he signs his, like, you know, his check like, at the restaurant? I feel like the is like the middle name. Like if he was going to write it like really official, it'd be like dog T Bounty Hunter. Yes. Okay. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I gotcha. So I feel like Bounty Hunter would be his last name. Okay. Mr. Bounty Hunter. I wonder if it's hyphenated. Is it hyphenated? Uh, Probably. It would have to be if it's a name, right? Because right, people think. don't usually, well, I guess you do have two last names like Isabella Stewart Gardner. <laughs> Well, but she was married. But that's her middle name, too. I don't know if it's her middle name, but sometimes when people get married, they they continue yeah. on with their... Anyway, we're going like way off yeah, the rails anyway, here. Let's um, move on. Mr. Bounty Hunter is still looking for him, and he thinks that she must have been murdered brutally because they have still oh. not released the cause of death. They released the manner of death, which is homicide. Right. And they say that gives some clues so that rules really out. really bad. Well, that gives some clues that rules out accident. It rules out, um, oh, what were the other ones? Suicide. Um, so it rules those things out when you call it a homicide. But they still have not said it was death by strangulation, gunshot, right. you know, blunt head trauma, whatever. And so... Dog also came out and said, you know, there's a lot of wildlife in that area. So maybe the body mm. was kind of, you know, she could have been killed from strangulation, for for example. And now her body is like completely mutilated because of the, animals. the animals and the vultures and whatever got a hold of it. Right. Because it was several days Ugh, that's awful. that Ugh. she was um, there before she was found. That's so terrible. still no cause of death on that thing. There's been a ton of tips coming out about people that think they saw the remnants of 
Brian Laundrie's campsite and all this other stuff. The um, van life people that were like that movie we watched. What was that movie called with Francis mm, Dor- McDormand? I don't remember. Anyway, th- this whole thing's like a movement to go live in your van. Right, yeah. And so those people that do that are like fearing for their life because, the, you know, he was a van guy and now he's out on the loose and nobody knows where he's at. So this That's thing's just silly. continuing to spiral. I read something last week that now Brian Laundry's dad is trying to help find him. Yes. So it's just bananas. Like, I can't believe he's probably dead, right? He's got to be dead. Killed himself. Mm. <clears throat> or do you think he's really living like a nomad? And Yeah, I think he's on the run. Crazy. I don't think he's dead. Yeah. I don't, I don't think he would have done that. Um, he seems kind of narcissistic to me. I mean, at some point he's going to have to visit a laundromat because he's going to have a bunch of dirty laundry. Mm-hmm. Do you like all the laundry puns I worked in I there? Do. It's, it's really good. good. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, so I, I'm dying to know. I'm like, I really want to know a cause of death. So I'm still following this because yeah. I, I really want to know how this went down. Yeah, that's um, really interesting. But yeah, that case is still just. It might end up being a cold case forever. Yeah, Crazy. I don't know. I think we'll get something soon. He yeah, there's got to be something. He can't run forever, or his body can't lay wherever it was forever. Yeah, there's got to be something that he. Uh, will leave behind. He's not a professional criminal. So Right. The uh amateurs always screw up. So maybe an amateur sleuth will find him. Maybe. Or the case busters or whatever they're called. Case. The case breakers. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, those are my updates. They should get jackets. I agree. I love it. Yeah, with precedent patch on it. And- so I actually have another update Ooh, that I haven't yes. uh, shared for a while because there haven't been any updates for a while, but just a couple of weeks ago they did have an update on uh, John Garish, Ellen Chung, and their daughter, Miju, as well as their oh, yeah. dog. Yes. Um, they have ruled out six more causes of death. Okay. So says People Magazine. Um, they have ruled out, well, so originally they ruled out gunshot, right? And they ruled yes. out chemical exposure. Yeah. So now they have ruled out, I just lost it. There we go. Suicide, lightning strike, exposure to carbon monoxide, carbon dioxide, cyanide, and illegal drugs and alcohol. All the IDES. They've, uh... So they have ruled all of those out. We still do not have a cause of death. However, they have said that the toxicology reports have been completed. Have they ruled out um, Brian Laundry? Because <laughs> he tends to kill people out on the trail. Apparently. Allegedly. Okay. Alleged, allegedly. 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 Yes. Um, so, yeah, they have the toxicology reports have been completed, but they're still waiting for a, quote, few key results. So we still hey, don't know. Curious. Yeah. You have one more update. You I forgot. Do? Yeah. Mr. Sharky. Killed himself while they were oh, going to get him. Lottie. You posted about that. I sure did. Yeah, all the uh, stories we've covered over the past <laughs> almost like, year are starting to wrap up a little bit. I like it. Right. So Alexis Sharkey, if you remember, was killed in, was it Dallas? Yes, I think so. I don't remember in the, the killing gates fields? off the top of my, no, no. She's not part of the mm, killing fields? She is fields? not part of the killing fields now. She was an influencer. Oh, yes, remember? yes. Yeah. Thanksgiving. Yeah. She was the the shopping thing. Yeah. Right. So police were able to find some new evidence that pointed to her husband. Mm -hmm. When they went to knock on the door to talk to him about it, he decided he didn't want to be a part of that. And he shot himself in the head like a coward. Like you do. Yeah. Yeah. That's why I'm saying Mr. Laundry is probably dead. 
Because he's, I mean, and if, when he gets confronted, he's going to kill himself probably. Maybe. We'll see. Yeah. But anyway, knows? so that's another uh, case solved, which is nice to solved feel, I guess. Closed. I, made something nice for the family, unfortunately. But now that we know and yeah. it sucks that they don't get the justice that they deserve, but. One less killer on the street. One less. Yeah. Yeah. All right. All right. Well, if you want any more information about these cases, please make sure to follow us on social media at How Did We Miss That? And until next week, keep your head up and look out for each other.